this conversation is for anybody who has gut bacteria, which is, by the way, everybody. Yes. <laughs> and this conversation is especially for those who have anxiety or depression or brain fog or bipolar or kids who are having a difficult time focusing or if you've gone through adverse events or trauma, this is a great conversation for you because the psychobiotics actually get to the root cause of an imbalance by healing the gut and healing the brain. Welcome to Disorderland, where even your microbes are exploited for profit. I'm Jesse Meadows. And I'm Aisha Khan. And if you haven't subscribed to our Substack yet, make sure you do, because we'll be putting out extra newsletters to go along with episodes, hosting discussion threads, and taking your questions over there too. The link is in the show notes. Today, we're talking about a new wellness craze that I keep getting targeted ads for on Instagram probiotic supplements that are supposed to balance my neurotransmitters. They're called psychobiotics. What does it mean? Well, psychobiotics are an attempt to promote the growth of good bacteria in our intestine, bacteria that are good for our mental health and indeed for our general physical well-being. That's neuropharmacologist John Cryan and psychiatrist Ted Dynan, who coined the term. This field is very new, less than a decade of research so far, and there's a lot that we don't know. But it's based on the idea that the bacteria in your gut regulates the neurotransmitters in your brain. Dynan has said that he would like to see the field move in the direction of treating stress-related psychiatric disorders. And specifically, he wants to find probiotic alternatives to antidepressants. So Aisha, you are a microbiologist. Can you explain to us what the gut-brain axis is and what's wrong with trying to treat depression this way? Yeah, so I guess taking a step back, um, this is a part of this whole field of like microbiome studies. So essentially in the Mm -hmm. last like 30 years or 40 years even, we've had a more in-depth appreciation understanding for microbes, not just being things that hurt us, but being things that uh, are constantly in cooperation with us and also like literally make us who we are. So just the fact that there's like trillions of microbes on your skin, inside your gut, um, in your mouth, uh, all of that has allowed us to sort of start to see ourselves as part of this intricate web of relationships in our ecosystem. So a lot of like cool, um, cool outcomes have come from this, including I think people turning to microbial ecology and microbial communities to try to understand how they structure themselves and how they cooperate and share resources and um, how they are decentralized and they have non-hierarchical structures in terms of how they function like through mutualism. So it's been inspiring in many ways, but Just like with everything else, what capitalism does is it co-ops anything good and just makes it terrible. So, (laughs) um, and sucks the life out of it. (laughs) And that's essentially what it's done to microbiome studies where just like with everything else through the lens of capitalism, it's, they've become really reductive in, in general, where they're trying to answer very, 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 very complex questions by reducing them to binaries, essentially, or like being very overly reductive and bioessentialist about it. 
Um, and this, this also goes back to why they do this, because microbes are now this potential hot commodity on the market. Where, you know, it's like now that people have realized um, they're in collaboration with us, it's like maybe we could actually exploit them to get them to do what we want. Um, (laughs) And without, again, the lens of knowing that we're actually in like relationships with them where they are shaping us, but, you know, vice versa also. So I guess that's mm-hmm. where the gut brain axis thing comes in where like, yes, there's a bunch of bacteria in our gut. <laughs> and in general, what's I think true and been proven over and over again is we need a very diverse uh, gut microbiome in order to be able to be healthier. So that's like, there's pretty strong evidence for that now that the less diversity of microbes you have in your gut, the more problems you tend to have in terms of like negative adverse health outcomes. But what the gut brain axis is, is essentially just, and this is where for some reason there's this uh, separation. It's a binary, right? That tries to separate like your body with your mind when that's not really Mm -hmm. a real separation. But I guess what they're saying is like these bugs affect you (laughs) at Mm -hmm. baseline, which is true. And they affect you in really complicated ways, right? Um, Beyond just the the brain, everything. But um, when it comes to, I guess, mental illnesses, because mental illnesses are framed as like reduced to being innate neurological defects, then there's this emphasis on on the brain being like modulated and manipulated. Right. And again, the same reason why psychotropics are not really popular, where uh, something as complex as sadness and anxiety or depression have been re- you know, reduced to the imbalance of a single neurotransmitter, which, again, has not been scientifically proven, but is like marketed as such the same way now it's like microbes are like the hot new commodity that people are. But the same angle where it's like. Basically, even though diversity is what's required and there's millions of microbes in your gut and there's within that there's so many different genus and so many different species. But what they're trying to do now is figure out which one or two species are the most important, which is, again, the Mm -hmm. logic of like hierarchies within capitalism at play, because they will not figure that out, Mm -hmm. Um, which are most important that if we just put it in a pill and give it to people that's going to be enough to change everything about a person, (laughs) which is essentially what we're doing when we're talking about changing how someone is feeling and experiencing the world, which again is determined and shaped by their environment and a million social variables that exist outside even the scope of the microbe. (laughs) Yeah. So I have a little case study for us because I came across this ad. Instagram is always trying to give me shit to like help me balance my (laughs) serotonin my my sadness yeah (laughs) yeah they just they know that i'm unbalanced um and it's like you were saying it's like this one specific strain of lactobacillus it's a supplement called neurali and this ad in big letters it says balance serotonin and dopamine but then there's this fine print underneath that says for the dietary support of neurological conditions such as ASD. So I was like, okay, I got to fucking click this shit. <laughs> it's from a company called Bened Life. They're claiming to be the first gut brain medical probiotic that can, quote, balance happy hormones. And on their website, they give you like this four step process to see if Neurali will help you. And it says, step one, order Neurali. Step two, take two capsules a day. 
Step three, do this for three months. Step four, see what differences you notice in mood or movement. Movement, just broad, just yeah, any, any in all sorts of abstract or literal any, movement. Any difference. <laughs> yeah, just... transformation in physical or <laughs> metaphysical ways. <laughs> but a three-month supply of Neuralia is $346.50. It's easy to find out if it works. Just give us $346.50. But it's this company that is, uh, it's a Taiwanese company and they've opened this U.S. subsidiary. They got like $10 million of venture capital because there's a shitload of money in this right now. And basically they're developing and patenting like specific strains of bacteria and then like licensing it to other companies. So this strain is called Lactobacillus plantarum PS128. They took it from a traditionally fermented mustard product in Taiwan. And they are claiming that it's evidence-based and they have all this science to prove it. And they list four <laughs> studies on their website. Three of them are on autistic kids. So they're using these studies done on autistic people with the intention to like roll this out to the general population for things like depression and anxiety. And I'm curious what you think about these studies. I know you looked at them. Yeah, I mean, so maybe we can we can kind of go through it. So like so if folks haven't listened uh, to our episode, uh, I think it was episode three called Genome Wide Ass Studies, then I recommend you listen to that because we go through it and try to break down essentially what's problematic about all of these like clinical trials that claim to have figured out you know, some sort of a biological cause and a biological cause alone uh, to psychiatric diagnoses and still even though having been unable to actually do that, but they make these claims. So similar, like it, a lot of the framework here is the same in terms of like what's wrong with clinical studies, because in general, when they're done through the framework of capitalism, the goal is to produce something that's like sexy, right? So, so the goal is to come up with conclusions, go in already biased, right? So go mm -hmm. in already making like like really reductive hypotheses, like something as simple as like, can we just use one thing to change the state of how someone is fe feeling and being and existing, which is like a, a very colonial, like biological reductionism. That's literally the like principles of colonialism. And then you're asking a question that fundamentally can't be answered. And then you're using statistical analysis that are also super biased in how you do like data analysis. So similarly in this, like in these studies, one, they're really small. So the first study was 71. The second study, the first study in Taiwan was 71 subjects. The second study that was in the US was 32. Um, so basically, these are super small numbers to be able to make a claim this big, like already. And even then, I think in the last episode, we talked a lot about even the caveats of like big numbers, because essentially all the all the issues with studies with small numbers are, are compounded even with big numbers, right? So even big numbers don't make for good data if you're not asking the right questions and like super specific, precise questions. Um, and I, I think the most problematic thing about these studies is, which they all do, is the outcomes that they're measuring, <laughs> um, mm -hmm. which essentially are these very, very subjective assessments that they're making about how these kids are behaving. And mm -hmm. I mean, if you even look at like certain things that the first study that was originally, you know, like the basis of a lot of this 
like what it's measuring, um, like some of the symptoms or behaviors, it's like basically rule breaking behavior. Yeah. Um, or just like vague, super, super, super vague, like a score called autism mannerisms, which is just like what it, <laughs> okay. Like social emotion, like, and they do not. So this is a common problem with all these studies. They do a really bad job of actually defining exactly what they're measuring. Like, what are you precisely measuring? How are you measuring it? What do you define? They have no definitions even provided mm -hmm. to be like, this is what we perceive as good social emotion or like high social emotion. And this is what a lot, you know what I mean? Like there's nothing. So it's all intentionally vague that, and that's where a lot of the data manipulation basically comes where if you're going in with a really biased hypothesis in the first place, and the intention is to potentially get something out of this that can be put on the market for profit, mm -hmm. like you're going to create a lot of these like confounding issues during the data analysis process. So here, I mean, in a lot of these studies, one, the significance was were barely like even with all of this, right, with like tiny, tiny data sets. Right. And when you have tiny data sets, the biggest thing that you worry about is curation. Right. If you if you have 25 people, you can pick very precise 25 people that would like fit your study quite well. And there is absolutely no like no accountability for any of that stuff. It just isn't. And um, just like, yeah, then going through like all of the ways that they score this stuff, it's like when you actually look at the data, the differences that you see are so small. And then the claims that they're making are so hyperbolic relative to what they're seeing. And in many of these cases, like differences would be also observed with the placebo group, which has been an issue before with like psychiatry studies in general, making claims about things working when they also like they also worked in the placebo group, which I think is actually a valid thing, right? Yeah. Like I think when people feel like they're being helped, maybe they actually like that means something in terms of like, how like supported you feel and that having an impact on your outcomes right but it doesn't say anything about the drug or whatever being tested <laughs> mm -hmm. so yeah i think on first glance that's sort of like the big big issues with this and then also when you're looking at something that's a made like sort of a made-up social construct in terms of like which behaviors are pathologized what the gold standard is for who's considered not autistic in these cases right mm -hmm. um and also the cultural context of you know the first study wasn't like a couple of these studies are in taiwan and the other one was in usa and the other one was in italy like mm -hmm. what are the like there's nothing about the socioeconomic context of any of these subjects right so we don't know yeah. anything about their life we don't know anything about their like social conditions that impact their health and any of those variables will be constantly changing and evolving between like time point one and time point two which is what they measure right mm -hmm. so it's like these are such reductive studies where like i mean even the claim that they make so a lot of these studies come from like animal studies initially so you kind of go through the process of like studying it in a tube studying in an animal and then a human. The thing is, when you're moving from a tube to an animal to a human, they don't actually change anything about what they're asking. And so in a tube, you could feed like a microbe, for example, like any nutrient, right? Like glucose, lactose, sucrose, whatever. And it will metabolize it and produce some byproduct, right? Like, so let's just say one of those happens to be a hormone. And in that tube, dopamine went up because it's just metabolizing it, right? And then you take that and you translate it into like a mouse model, which is what they predominantly use, right? In a mouse model that's been artificially manipulated, these mice are basically like either their immune systems are wiped clean or, and they do that because they want to control exactly what bacteria are in these mice's guts, right? So, and then like stressing these mice out in very like control, like honestly, like weird experiments. Yeah. 
Like the forced swimming, isn't that one yeah, of them? So, like force yeah. them to swim or something. Well, force them to swim and see how literally the time point that you measure is how long they take to give up and drown. That's so fucked. Yeah. And that's how you <laughs> relatively and ag again, you're doing this within these like very artificially created vacuum environments, mm -hmm. right? Where this sad mouse whose entire life has just been in this like le likely cage. And I'm not saying I'm not making the case like I've used animal studies to like infection models of animal studies, right? But mm -hmm. I'm not asking these big questions <laughs> yeah. um, because I don't think you can ask them. And then they translate that to a person, but nothing changes about the question they're asking, the hypotheses they're making, the conclusions they're drawing. They will literally, you can see See these studies the conclusion will just be lactobacillus was responsible for increasing dopamine lactobacillus was impossible like responsible for increasing dopamine in mice lactobacillus responsible like nothing has changed right so it's the general problem that like colonial capitalist science and healthcare have which is they look at individuals and try to determine if they're sick or not and then use the diagnose and drug model and then just pretend that like the individual is just sick just because right and that therefore you can just treat them by treating the individual and without ever actually addressing anything about the complexities of their relationships they're in and then like their social context that's actually making them sick in the first place. And isn't it like there's like not a very good translation between mice and humans in terms of like how well something works? I feel like I read that like 90 something percent of the time it's it doesn't translate so it well it depends like but if you look at the numbers in terms of how many things are tested first in animal models and how many make it through through two clinical trials that number is exceedingly small right and this is where with numbers like this it is it could be just absolute pure chance right mm -hmm. something will pass through the filter it just will yeah. that's probability right so but they're like and and now there is a harder and harder focus on trying to get and this i think is actually interesting because now people are realizing the way we study science in a lab on the bench is inherently reductive we're not able to and this is what pushed microbiology forward for example even when we realized in like the clinical lab that if we're trying to grow them on plates that don't actually have the nutrients these like microbes need in the human body when they're causing an infection which are so many complex like nutrients we're never going to be able to like actually grow them and recover them so we can't identify which ones are causing these infections so there's been this shift in general like now a lot of innovation yes is like driving trying to complexify like okay can we bring in their eco ecological niche and like recreate that niche in the lab right but the thing that like people are like kind of missing is sure you might like bring the same dirt and bring the same chemicals in that dirt but what you're not going to be bringing in on your bench unless you try to bring it in on your bench and there might be ways to do that is like can you bring capitalism onto your bench <laughs> and then you know create a pressure cooker like contributing mm -hmm. from that right and i and so even though there's this like acknowledgement that we're not at all doing a good job of using these like very reductive systems to study like any concept in science in a vacuum essentially which is a pattern across all of science Mm -hmm. That like there's no real acknowledgement that the reason we're doing that in the first place is because it's it's colonial foundations, right? Everything about colonialism is trying to like be like biological reductionism is the foundation of like how race was created, how gender was created, how sex and sexuality were created. And like now it's that same logic that drives science and medicine, right? So it's like, how can we reduce people to this one gene? How can we figure out the one treatment that will be enough to cure someone of something, right? It's just this inherent binary, like zero one thinking. And that's not how like non-Western colonial systems work, right? <laughs> mm -hmm. Well, I think supplements are like very profitable because you have to take them like multiple times a day for the rest of your life. <laughs> yeah. So 
I, I see why there's like so much money in this and so much excitement from like venture capitalists. That actually, you can see that even play out within capitalist healthcare systems. So, for example, like one of the biggest, biggest issues, is, like with microbes right now, is actually that there's not enough funding for actual research related to infectious diseases because, like, we can never really make the economic profit claim because it's never really profitable, right? Yeah. Like, so even novel antibiotic discovery, which is basically what we need to constantly be doing, because they will always figure out a way to get resistant. That's, this is just like how life is going to work, right? So we constantly need to be just creating stuff as we're adapting to them and they're adapting to us. And in that realm, like the pitch that you make to, because venture capitalists fund science, right? Government funding still comes from financial interests that are backed by wealthy elite. So we can never compete against medications that people have to take chronically for the rest of their life. Mm -hmm. So they're dependent on these medications, their health, like these are infinite amount of profits raised through insurance companies that are built for this, right? And the, and the patient that's built for this. And then ultimately with antibiotics, for example, you just take them and you actually just get better, <laughs> mm -hmm. right? And like, you don't actually, like with most of them, you don't ever have to take them again. And that's the point, but that's not profitable and never will be. And neither is public health then, right? So prevention is not profitable. You want people yeah. to get sick so you can treat them, right? Why would you actually want them to be okay? <laughs> yeah. There's a lot of talk about the microbiome in like autism circles and it became this really trendy, causative thing. I think after there was like this famous study by Andrew Wakefield that got retracted that inspired a lot of the anti-vax stuff, but he talked a lot about like leaky gut syndrome. Mm -hmm. And so, so saying that this is what causes autism and because like autistic people have so many like gastrointestinal problems, there's all this talk about this like link, but I think it can be really easily explained by just the fact of like stress and like these kinds of probiotic uh, studies don't ever acknowledge that it's like a bi-directional relationship that mm -hmm. like- That we're affecting your, them. Your yeah. brain and like your experiences and your stress also affects your microbiome. And so like, to me, it's just like, the answer is so simple. I mean, it's not like a simple solution, but I think it's a simple <laughs> answer to just be like, yeah, like autistic people are stressed the fuck out. I mean, like everyone is, but like- Everyone is, right. <laughs> that's why IBS is like the most common- <laughs> affliction now but with so many like across the board in in so many different contexts right which makes sense and i think that's also something important that these uh symptoms that they're observing or outcomes that they're measuring in these studies uh they even mention that they overlap with a bunch of different psychiatric diagnoses or even no psychiatric diagnosis at all mm -hmm. <laughs> um which is where like so what are you you know what i mean like what are you actually measuring because you're not quantifying anything what you're doing is like making very subjective arbitrary judgments uh, that have mm -hmm. been, again, externally leveraged, right? Like these, they're not actually even talking about like, like assessing internal distress or just like how yeah. people are feeling, like how they're doing, right? Like they're trying to literally quantify that based on these like very reductive metrics. So, and that's like a thing that comes up again and again. And also like, just even thinking of, of the whole like, gut and like like interplay or bi-directionality of our relationship with microbes it's just like if you think about it for a minute everything i mean hopefully with the pandemic people realize that mm -hmm. <laughs> that it's not just the ones that like once they get to our body and what they do to our body literally what we're doing to this planet with like what capitalism does is basically extract and endlessly exploit land 
and animals and plants and people and everybody to like generate profit. And part of that is like ecological destruction and habitat destruction and like deforestation, urbanization, mass production and it, like industrialized farming, etc. All of that literally drives microbes to be hyper, like really stressed and essentially jump, for example, like zoonotic events, right? Like the fact that in the 1980s, we only had HIV as this like first major like infectious diseases that emerged at the scale that it did. But since then, if you like, it was the only one then, right? And now we literally have this like, if you look at the map of like emerging new infectious diseases, mm -hmm. right? It's just like, it's wild, right? There's, there's hundreds. And the succession at which like epidemics and pandemics occur has been just like increasing and increasing and increasing to now we're, we're in like what, three years of yeah. like, and this is absolutely unprecedented, right? Like even in human history. So it's just like thinking about how, like we are stressing them out, right? Yeah. And then we're expecting, like we're almost like, this is like the signature of capital systems. They're reactionary by design, right? Like they do nothing to actually care for people they don't provide people, they actually make sure people don't have guaranteed access to food, shelter, water, which is what you need to be at somewhat baseline healthy to start with, right? Maybe. And then community and love and all those other things that are just as important, right? And then it just waits for people who are already very sick to get sicker till they show up to the hospital. And it's like, now we have the opportunity to make a bunch of money, right? And keeping in mind, majority of our healthcare system, literally, like if you're working with an profit-based systems, if, and especially within hospitals, if people don't show up sick, what are you making money off of, right? Like the whole model falls apart if people are truly just healthy and not showing up at your door, right? So it's just like, it goes back to, it's not just the, the ones in your body, it's the ones around you, the ones in your soil, the ones that are in the food that you're eating, right? Like antibiotic resistance is increasing because we're pumping antibiotics into cattle, to literally, like under the model of capitalism, you want to put the least in to get the most out. So to get like the fattest chicken, um, we're basically like putting animals through just like brutal, brutal conditions. And mm -hmm. now we have a butt like when we consume meat, that leads to us then consuming these like drug resistant bacteria or even genes of like drug resistance that then go into our gut bacteria, right? So it's just like, we only like focus somehow when we're having problems, I guess, in our body and then think about how like, oh, how can we use these to, you know, but we're the, like, if you really think about source, right? And like trace, trace your way back, like we're really stressing out the microbes on this planet. And then there's this like complex interplay, right? Where we're affected by them, we're affecting them. And it's just this endless, yeah. <laughs> sad, sad tale. <laughs> yeah, I feel like bi-directional is not even like uh, a good enough description because it's just so many directions that it's coming from. It's like multi-directional. Yeah. And it's and it's not just multiple directions. It's that like we are in uh we're entangled in the complex web of like inter and intraspecies relationships and co like collectivism and collaboration right and so like our relationships with microbes aren't just through us and this one specific cell right or this one specific lactobacillus it's like so that's actually really important like in the gut they even actually have a ton of studies now that show exactly why more diversity in your gut protects the integrity of your gut, right? And so for example, IBD, one of the biggest risk factors for IBD is when you have like decrease in the diversity of your gut microbiome. And that makes perfect sense because literally the integrity of, the, of your gut is maintained by how these like 
microbes metabolize nutrients and what they secrete into the environment and how that maintains the integrity of your stomach, right? Um, and your entire, entire like GI, but also your skin and like your mouth, like everything, right? So yeah, like there's tons of studies that show that, for example, when people are treated with like broad spectrum antibiotics, right? Like, so these are antibiotics that literally will kill everything in your gut. Like, and mm -hmm. those are ironically, the ones that are race diversity are not good for you. And that makes a lot of sense. So now there's a push towards antibi antibiotics being very precise, mm -hmm. right? In that they target like very, they don't destroy the whole ecological niche of your gut. They try to go for what's causing problems, right? But now, and we have that information already, but it's not like, it's very hard to nail down because even within, like here they talk about lactobacillus, right? And that's like a genus, but it's a huge, like even in microbiology, we are acknowledging now how overductive we've been about how we think about bacteria, right? And lactobacillus is a whole genus. Within that, there's multiple species. Within species, there's multiple like strains and types, right? And maybe people know this with COVID, right? With like, like a micron and Delta, like there's, mm -hmm. and that's just still SARS-CoV-2. And then there's just SARS-CoV. And then like, you know, this is yeah. <laughs> like the level of complexity, right? And then to be, try to isolate one thing and then just be like, we can have a bunch of this put into people's guts and that's going to solve it all. Oh, so that's why they're able to patent like specific ones because yes. there's just so many of them. That's also, yeah, that's also a workaround. Yeah. Oh, that's interesting. I was wondering, like, how can they patent this bacteria? But if there's like hundreds of them. So what the, it's interesting patent, oh, I, like patents are the other <laughs> like huge monster that's like yeah. really, really representative of how like our current healthcare systems are not meant to save lives. Like mm -hmm. there would be no patents if that's what happened, right? Like during COVID-19, for example, like a uh, majority of like the the world besides the colonial countries just didn't have access to vaccines because like of patents. So yeah, but with like patent rules are so weird, but all of it is like, how can you come up with this like niche product that, you know, can be branded and marketed perfectly? And can you label it as unique based on what it has, but also based on like, like, oh, is it put in a tablet form? Is it put in a, you know, yeah. like- Is it uh, like slow release? Right, right. How unique, right? How special and how like individually curated do you think this is to be so, so special, right? And that's literally what determines whether someone gets a patent or not. It's just like, Jesus fucking. So basically what these studies are doing is asking this one strain of bacteria, right? This one species, this lactobacillus and this one type of bacteria to solve our world's problems, <laughs> to take everything in our society. That is literally the reason people are depressed and anxious and sad and hurting and just, just make it all go away and fix it, right? And that's, that's an awful lot to ask of one very little guy. <laughs> <laughs> lactobacillus does not get paid enough for this. <laughs> if you enjoyed this episode or you have comments questions or suggestions head on over to our Substack to join the discussion under this episode we want to hear from you so we're also starting regular discussion threads on Substack where you can ask us questions give us ideas for topics you'd like to hear us discuss or even send us your most cursed targeted ads about mental health. We would love to investigate them. We'll also be sending out newsletters with extra readings and resources in between episodes. So be sure to subscribe for free at disorderland.substack.com so you don't miss any of that. Thanks for listening.